Mixed Media Movies. So today I get to talk Top Gun. Uh, in fact, I own the original Top Gun right there. Look, look, at, look at this. Look at this ridiculously awesome, just... <laughs> Just so everything about this film just screams 80s. It is just an 80s movie uh, through and through. Um, it took me a while to see this film. Uh, um, I bought it on Blu-ray because I am an F-14 sim pilot. So I fly in a sim, this, this aircraft here. And you can't be an F-14 sim pilot unless you watch this movie and memorize every line. This is a requirement. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, uh, popped, no, it's not bootleg. <laughs> um, I popped, I popped this in and, uh, it was a riot from front to front to back. It is one of the most ridiculous. No, no, this is not, this is not the uh, new movie. This is the original Top Gun 909 crimes asking. Um, <laughs> this is the original, uh, Blu-ray, um, or the original movie in Blu-ray. And it is a riot of a film. It is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous movie <laughs> from front to back. It has so many gems of lines that I, I, I definitely have to... Uh, <laughs> definitely have to go back and memorize. And honestly, I had so much fun watching it. Just from the absurdity and the ridiculousness of this movie. It is a not good movie, objectively. <laughs> like, it's really not good. <laughs> But, you know, I gave it a two out of five on Letterboxd. You know, it's 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 not even really average. It's it's not really that great. But it's freaking great in how much joy you can have watching such a ridiculous movie. Um and I'm not just ta- I'm not talking about from the, the sim pilot perspective. I mean it's ridiculous in that sense in a whole another set of ways but just in general for 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 a blockbuster movie it is on the more ridiculous half of uh half of things now what is this movie why is this movie so jovial so joyful it's because there's so much energy in it like for all of its flaws it does not lack energy like all the actors are firing at all cylinders you know just being as hammy as possible you know with all the charisma they've got tom cruise is just the most smiley, affable person, <laughs> you know, you know, he's always smiling, flashing those grins, you know, he's got his aviator glasses on. It's ridiculous. It's awesome. Now, this is also very obviously a piece of propaganda, like to join the Navy. <laughs> like, it's like literally a Navy, like, you know, recruitment film might as well be. <laughs> like, I mean, the, clearly the message of this film is if you become a naval pilot, you will get all the girls and you... <laughs> And you will have the cool missions and maybe your friend will die, but it's okay because, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just an overall fun experience. You get to play volleyball. It's just, it's just so summertime in California. Um, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, but in the best ways possible. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no shame in owning this thing. As an F-14 pilot, it is even better <laughs> because of it. Um, the amazing thing, though, is that, uh, and this is going to tie into the, the new film. The one incredible thing about this film, and this ties into a topic I talked about a long time back um, about uh, military funding of films, is that this is actual Tomcats flying in all of these shots. That boggles my mind. 
That boggles my mind in the new film, too, but we'll, we'll get to that. It's incredible, even though it's ridiculous, to see F-14s being filmed in choreographed shots doing sometimes, like, quite risky maneuvers. Like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, yikes, that, that's scary. It's all for a shot, you know? Like, you know, they're willing to risk these airframes just to, just to get their nice advertisement for the Navy going. Um, but I, it's worth it. <laughs> but the... Yeah, so... Yeah, it, it has charisma. It has a lot of problems. It's a very incoherent story. Um, to give you, if you haven't seen it, have you guys seen Top Gun? I haven't, no. I, I watched like a five-minute summary of it before going to see the second one, so... Yeah, it isn't really this much. <laughs> no, yeah, it's pretty much covered in, in the second film anyway. <laughs> That's true, too. Um, the, the, just to give you an idea of what kind of film this is, this film basically revolves around this gung-ho pilot who just likes to push the bound, push the boundaries, basically do things that if you did them once, you'd be kicked out of the Navy immediately. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but that that's okay. He, you know, is a hot shot, gets the babes, all that kind of stuff. But just to give you an idea of what kind of movie this is, they're in a, uh, a real, this is a real thing. Top, Top Gun is a real um, competition that the Navy holds um, to sort of dogfighting um, exercises. And there is a winner. Like it actually does work like that. And I believe it still works the same way it did back then. Oh, rules could be different, but you know, same general principles. Uh, However, this film adds the extra spice of some unnamed foreign entity <laughs> that is very clearly Russian, <laughs> but unnamed. Uh, they they call them MIGs, so I don't even understand why they don't name them. Yeah, I mean, they call the aircraft MIGs. Is it, is it actually Russia? I, my dad, so he knows much more about this, and he told me that it's supposed to be pretty obvious it's supposed to be Libya, but I could be wrong. Interesting. Oh. Okay, that I could, I could actually see that's an interesting take. I could see that because the Libya might have had MIGs at the time. Yeah, that that that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, that's interesting. Huh, I didn't think about that. But in, in any case, it's it's weird that they name the enemy aircraft, but they don't name a country. <laughs> it's just kind of bizarre. But <laughs> but um, you know, anyway, they they are getting invaded at random by enemy MIGs in the middle of their Top Gun exercises. I kid you not, this is the plot. <laughs> like, they are literally doing their Top Gun competition, and all of a sudden they'll be like, two bogeys in the distance. <laughs> I'll be like, what? Like, are you practicing in the middle of, like, a theater of war here? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it, is, it is incredible, though. Uh, and the MiGs, you know, of course, the, the big pilots are dressed in all black. They literally look like, uh, you know, like they belong in Star Wars. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've got the red accents and everything. It, it's it's ridiculous. It's incredible. Um, so do I recommend buying it? Absolutely. This is, this is a museum piece. Like this is required ownership just for the sake of having it. Okay. Now, now to the new film. Oh, actually one thing I noticed when I was picking up this disc to show you guys, um, is at the back, one of the featurettes is 
survival training featurette. <laughs> I have not seen it. I'm 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 definitely going to watch it soon. Now that I've noticed that that's there, that sounds like it'll be hilarious. <laughs> okay, so now the new film. So of course we are many 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 years later. In fact, we're decades later from the original film. Tom Tom Cruise has gotten older, much older. Perhaps the first time he's acknowledged in a film that he's gotten older. I feel like in his Mission Impossible series, he's just kind of still this nice ripe like 40 age perpetually um, <laughs> but in this film he actually feels you know uh, uh, you know actually aged you know <laughs> like he's actually aged now uh he's definitely done up so that he looks nice and clean and all that kind of stuff but um yeah he's sort of taking on that is his age sort of head head first and uh just to give you a non-spoiler overview basically uh maverick was which is his tom cruise's call sign i think his name in the film is like peter something or another i can't remember but we call him maverick of course and uh captain maverick is still a captain after all these years he's now a naval test pilot testing the new platforms that the navy is going to be doing we get this Um, really like i actually i haven't looked it up um as an aviation nerd i'm I'm surprised i haven't uh, jumped on it yet but the weird like mach 10 aircraft i have no idea if that thing is real it doesn't look real at all but i mean it could be. I, I just don't know. Um, so I thought that was an interesting thing. Um, hypersonic uh, uh, manned flight sounds a little bit odd as a concept, but cool nonetheless. Very cool. And so, yeah, he's a test pilot, uh, you know, who's called back to Top Gun, of course. Um, so Maverick, you're going back to Top Gun, you know, that kind of <laughs> Kind of thing. <laughs> He's going back to Top Gun so that he can teach a new class of spunky spry uh, aviators uh, to have discipline and to do a really tough mission with an even more vague target. <laughs> because now there's not only not named uh, adversary, it, there's not a named aircraft either. So- Again, my my father who's much more in tune with all this, you know, the, the military is uh, his, his commentary on it was that uh, it spares a lot of resemblance to a particular uh, mission uh, in in Iran. Ah. Uh, not, the, not carried out by the U.S., but Iran doesn't Israel. have the plane. Yeah, but Iran doesn't have uh, the planes that are used by the unnamed enemy. It also doesn't have the shoreline that this enemy has. Yes, I thought it was very obviously Iran as well. Like when I was, <laughs> when I, like, you know, in terms of the reference to the particular mission, you know, it felt very like Israel uh, dropping a pair of uh, GBUs on uh, on Iranian reactors uh, way back when. It's way more complicated than that, that mission, than the Israeli mission, um, way more difficult than the Israeli mission. Uh, not to say the Israeli mission wasn't difficult. This one is uh, quite the time, but we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So yeah. So basically, I'll start. I'll start with the cons first. Um, I'll, then I'll go to the pros, and then I'll talk about like just as a sim pilot and an amateur, you know, aviation nerd. I'll, I'll go over some of those things in there. Um, Before you start, I okay. be heading out uh, now. Sadly. Ah uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, see you guys later. <laughs> see you later. Uh, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do my best not to spoil it. Although there's not really, it's a very just like the original. It it is very formulaic 
in its overall form. You could tell what was going to happen at the end from the beginning, of course. I, that, that's not to its its detriment, per se. It's just that it is what it is. It's, it's following that, that, that formula. Well, it could be to its detriment. We'll uh, get to it. Actually, I'll give my overall uh, assessment first, and then we'll get into the particulars, because the particulars are where the interesting stuff is at. So I ended up giving it a 3 out of 5, right? In, in, a, in a way, it is better than this film. In, well, in a lot of ways, I should say. It is much better than this film in a lot of ways. And 3 out of 5 is, like, above average for me. So, like, there's the sort of what it is, for what it is factor, of course, right? So you can't just compare all 3 out of 5s together. This film's not trying to be a Scorsese film or something like that. It's not of that echelon, you know? So I'm not going to hold it to that standard either. It's, it's supposed to be a fun blockbuster movie. So in that context, I give it a 3 out of 5. And so overall, it was a positive experience for me. I'll, I'll discuss the details now, I guess. I guess the, here's, here's where we insert the details. So I'll start with the cons and then go to the pros. So the cons... Uh, I was really surprised that Tom Cruise felt a little flat for me the entire time. I don't know if it's just because I had watched Top Gun like, you know, like a month beforehand and I saw his young self as Maverick and that's still fresh in my memory. And then I see his old self as Maverick. But I feel like there could have been a decision made where his age could have given him something instead of the spunk. But I feel like it just removed the spunk, if that makes sense. So it's just like Maverick minus spunk. And it just kind of felt kind of blank. And I, and I like Top Cruise. So it, was, it, was, it just felt a little bland to me. And then so. the film kind of suffers from a little bit of that second act slump um, that I've talked about many uh, times <laughs> on, on this show for films that are uh, the traditional Hollywood three-act structure. Um, I, I definitely concur with that. It's particularly Act 2B, if you use the... Uh, the um, Act 2B? No, sorry, Act 2A. Act 2A is the particularly offensive act in this film, if you're going by the original, orig- you know, by the way it was certainly constructed. Now, it's kind of odd, because it's hard for me to assess it for this fault because it's very clearly trying to do the same thing the original film did, like, beat by beat. It's like a remake, but not a remake. Like, like the beats are hit, like, almost exactly in the same spots of the screenplay. We've got a different overall tone and dynamic. But, like, I mean, it's, it's almost a halfway remake, halfway sequel in, a, in, in the way that the story structure is, the way it evolves. In that sense, it's like the original had the same exact problem. So, like, if we're trying to line up the beats so that they're the same, we're going to exhibit the same symptom, right? So it's like, I don't know. It's hard for me to... I I still find it a flaw. I don't find it redemptive to to take the flaws of the prior thing and then just copy it over to the the new one. I I don't think that's helpful. But um, I understand why it happened, I suppose. (laughs) And why is Act 2A bad? It's because... Okay, actually, I should say this. Act 2A in the original film is better. And the reason why it's better in the original film is because there's just so much energy that it doesn't matter that we've gone off track and we don't know where we are in the story. We have no connection to any themes. We've gone nowhere. You know, (laughs) there's no interesting action. You know, at least we've got the spunk. You know, we've got these, the young, young Tom, uh, Tom Cruise. We've got his love interest, who's got tons of charisma. She's super awesome to watch, even though her role was literally just to be the love interest. She was literally just, just love interest, 
And I thought she was going to have a wider role in the entire film. She doesn't even have a plot-related role. But we spent Act 2A with her out of nowhere. <laughs> Just so we can have, uh, you know, the, the, the pilot getting the girl. How, how do you feel like that compares to the love interest in the second film, though? I, to me, that was, like, the most extraneous part of the film. You know, like, it, it, it didn't even, like, if to me... If you were going to just put it in there, you know, just because, you, you know, you, you, you want your you want main character to, to get the girl. I mean, it's like it's not even like like a like a spicy, like, you know, intense romantic thing. It's like the romance itself is pretty flat. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing. So that's why I said the act two A and the original is better, because there's actual chemistry between Tom Cruise and and uh, the actress uh, who played uh, who uh, I forget her name, who played the character originally now in this film the actress is different for reasons aging reasons it's a whole other topic i think the original actress is dead oh she really okay i missed that detail sorry about that (laughs) okay well so so we have a replacement who has no charisma in comparison and really zero chemistry. Like, I don't even know how they, when they play tested Tom Cruise against this woman, I have no idea what they were thinking when they were like, yeah, this is a good idea. Like it, like she comes across and I'm not saying this is her fault because she's given such a one dimensional role. So she has to play with it herself in order to make it interesting. And if there's no chemistry, then that might be very, very difficult for her to to do. So I'm not blaming her. But like, I just don't. I mean, it just she makes her feel like a Hallmark character. <laughs> That's really what she felt like, like a Hallmark love interest. <laughs> I thought her daughter was better than she was, and her daughter has like two lines. Oh, absolutely. The daughter was 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 fun compared, compared to the the weirdness that was happening <laughs> between Tom Cruise and the love interest here. Uh, um, (laughs) so you know we brought in that extraneous love plot from the first film brought it back to do it worse and i was just like okay like can we just move on to the to the to the the action that we all want to see (laughs) like we all know why we're here we want to see planes that's what we want to see (laughs) and uh yeah so and it ended up not affecting the wider plot either this time around either so i was like okay nothing was changed (laughs) So yeah, quite didn't like that aspect. And the film could have been shorter because of it. That's the other thing that bothered me. It's like, it could have been tighter in general. Um, But that's the problem that these sort of three-act typical structure films tend to have is they just don't, they don't have the tension at all times. It's a problem. The other complaint I had is that there was not enough rooster. Uh, And I'll get into the rooster because that's a gigantic pro um, on, on, on on the flip side of this thing. The central core theme of this film is perfect for this kind of movie. It is simple, yet archetypal, right? So it's it can achieve a lot of depth without having to be very deep on its own, right? Because the audience is familiar with these sorts of things. These are very raw human, human, human things. So you don't have to do much work to pull interesting things out of it. You just got to present it as it is, which is this sort of complicated father-son dynamic that, that has, uh, you know... Uh, emerged after you know, because he feels responsible for the death of his father, 
uh, that's in Top Gun 1, um, who was his Rio, his rear instruments officer, something like that. I'm going to mess it up. His Rio, his backseat. And, uh, you know, he feels responsible for that. That's a great theme. That's awesome. It's obviously been done many times before. But, like, let's do it again with, with planes. Like, fine, I'm, I'm down for it. Let's do it fun. Let's have some fun with it. But there wasn't enough of it. It should have been from front to back. That should have been the core thing from from every scene should have been hitting a theme that's related to this. And that was the weird part, because we ended up exploring half a theme that was in the original, which is... What is the role of discipline? What is, what is, is being the, a maverick a good thing, right? Like a literal maverick, right? Is being a maverick a good thing, right? Um, and there's, you can see he has to learn a lesson about discipline in the original film uh, so that he can use his maverick nature to the best of its ability, constrain it, right? You know, this is like a very archetypal message again, you know, like uh, particularly in, in sort of those masculine arch archetypes, right? It's like, chaining the monster right like you know chaining it so that you can control it right this is archetypal stuff with this this film we get a little bit of it still which i thought was weird because i was like but he's old now and he's already chained the monster you know <laughs> like, that's it's, kind also, of... it's also confusing not confusing it it i think it muddies what's going on because we have yeah we have rooster and like the whole you know parental like that issue we have what you're talking about like you know the the you know uh, discipline versus recklessness in in maverick the character but we also have that in the guy i think his name is hangman the other pilot and like and and hangman like hates rooster and they have like their own fight going on <laughs> and it's like it, it's kind of muddying like what's going on like i i was a little confused too i'm like we have too too many like rivalries going on and 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 they're not all like as developed as as they ought to be yeah it's all going on like three different planes yeah no pun intended <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah no i i, I agree entirely that there's all distraction i think it's because they're trying to make rooster maverick like in terms of fitting it to the same exact in the remake aspect of this film, they're trying to make Rooster Maverick, which means Maverick needs to have his class rival. So we give him Hangman like. But the thing is, we're following Maverick still. So it ends up being very bizarre feeling, you know, overall, because it's like, what's the central point? What's the central conflict? You know, with a blockbuster film, oftentimes there's just one or two central conflicts like conflict A and sub-conflict, you know, B, you know. Here it was just kind of like, okay, but we're not even latching on to anything. It's kind of weird. Uh, so, again, writing issues from the, from the jump. Um, let's see. So there's that. The last complaint I have is color grading. Oh, my gosh. I have never seen – this is the first time I, I – okay, Sometimes I have like more subjective opinions about color and how I don't like certain decisions, but I understand that they were decisions made and maybe it's just not my cup of tea, right? You know, or, or maybe I just don't understand what the director is going for, right? And I typically don't have that much to say about color. And if I do, it's usually positive, you know? So it's 
really bizarre in this film. The color was just weird throughout, from front to back. Really odd color grading. They had like weirdly yellowed skins sometimes when we're in the dark. Like the the uh, any indoor shot that was super lit felt so stale in the color grading. Now I want to show you the cover again of Top Gun. This film's color is it's just it's colorful. It's a colorful movie. Like the original Top Gun is it's a feels like summer. It's a summer blockbuster and it's just colorful. And I'm just I don't know why I feel like the trend in a lot of uh blockbuster films is just to get darker for no reason, right? And okay, I personally have lots of dark concepts, right? Dark is not foreign to me. I like dark. But when it's time to have fun, it's time to have fun. Like, you know, like, just just, just put some color in your movie. Uh, what were you going to say, Ben? Well, so I, that was one of the arguing with Reddit things I, I, we, I gave you a couple weeks ago about, you know, films getting darker. So if, yeah. you wanna, if you want to see Irving develop his thoughts on that, I'm sure that's out there somewhere under some, I'm sure you can look up that title somewhere. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so I don't even care that it's a trend. I just care when you use it in places where it's just like, why? Like, why is Top Gun Maverick a dark movie? Like, I don't like in terms of color, I'm, I'm speaking, you know, it's not even like it's dark. It's a little darker than Top Gun in terms of its themes, of course, but it's not like hugely darker such that the color has to reflect like some sort of depression or something like that. Like it, it's not that at all. So like, you know, we could, we could just have fun it, with it. It's not, it's not Blade Runner. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah. I, and the thing is they decided to do this film entirely digital and just to run with the digital look, which for the airplane sequences which I'll get to. It's a huge pro. Works totally fine. The practical nature of it is that they probably had to do the airplane sequences in digital just to get that much better at the cinematography than in the original movie. However, the ground scenes, come on, you want this. You want, you want the colors. The, the skin tone does not look like this on digital. It, it never can. It never will. Skin tones just look poppy, beautiful, alive. They jump off of the screen, you know, on film. And in the original Top Gun, you get that beautiful film grain. You've got that beautiful blooming happening. It's part of the, the brand, in my opinion, to shoot this thing on film. So uh, what I would have loved to see is to see the grounds, anything that was not in air to be in film and for film emulation to happen while they were in the air. You can match things, you know, especially when you don't, you know, looking at digital long for long sequences, you know, you can fool people pretty easily and things blend pretty nicely these days. Like you can blend them pretty nicely. So all the scenes where we have talking heads out in, you know, California and the vistas and all that kind of stuff or in the offices of, of some, some bureaucratic place, you know, like they all could have gotten that characteristic of film to them. That is so, I feel like a part of, of this schlocky thing. Like, it's just, it's part of it, you know? It's inseparable. Yeah. And so I just don't understand the color decision and, and this decision to go entirely digital. It, it, I don't think it'll ever make sense to me. Um, so that's it for the cons. Um, you know, I could nitpick things here and there, but this is not that type of movie, right? Like, we're not, we're not going to talk about, like, you know, the three layers of uh, motif that it could have had and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to talk about that because this is supposed to be a fun, stupid movie. So, <laughs> uh, okay, pros. Biggest pro. And this will kind of lead into a con I forgot. But biggest pro. Cinematography in general. 
So strip the colorist away, like just ignore the colorist for a moment and just look at how the shots were taken. Phenomenal work, I think, in terms of shooting these real planes. I still get, I'm still baffled that, 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 that it, it happens that way. You know, we've got my, my uh, poor old Tomcat is, uh, is not taking the forefront anymore. And uh, my, my big, beautiful, beastly uh, F-14 is no longer the, the star of the show. We've got the, the Super Hornet, the F-18s which I'm not a big fan of, but that's a rant for not this, uh, this venue. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we've got the Super Hornets, the FA-18s uh, that, that took the Tomcat job away from them, you know, sort of taking the forefront. Now, um, the first shots are carrier operations, which immediately I thought was cool. I was like, yeah, we're on the character. We could see some carrier operations. You know, I'm a nerd. And the weird thing is the, the, the plane that's coming off the character, I'm pretty sure it's an F-35, which is, is is a fifth generation American fighter, right? Uh, it's it's you know top of the line, top of the class. You know we've got like we've we're still producing these things to put them on carriers, whatever. They're they're, they're pretty they're pretty cool. Their nickname though is Fat Amy because they kind of look they look a little uh, round <laughs> compared to uh, the fighters of, of prior generations. Um, you know there and the reason it's Amy is because uh, the voice of the plane is a woman. You know so of course. Pilots gave her the name Fat Amy, um, <laughs> uh, and it's it was interesting because I thought we were I was like oh are there, are there going to be F thirty fives like prominently displayed in this movie because that would be super cool because you know new generation fighters you know seeing those fly around would be super cool then we got this weird like plot armor um, about not using the F-35s which was like the F-18s like you know like it was like something about jamming and stealth fighters which was just just kind of jargon nonsense that was thrown in there to say we're using F-18s we're not using the F-35s so I was super happy to see the F-35 on the carrier operations not I don't don't trash on the F-35 as much as the F-18 but F-35 this is, you know, it's okay, but it's cool because it's new. So I was happy about that. So, you know, seeing the carrier operations was awesome uh, for that. And then the plane just doesn't appear again until it becomes the enemy, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not sure why the choice was made to do the carrier operations with the F-35 in the opening shot and then make it the enemy for the remainder of the film. But, okay, that, that's a little weird, but... Whatever, it's cool. That's all I'm saying is all the cinematography is just cool. You know, Q-O-O-L, cool stuff. Uh, the effects that these planes are having on their surroundings is a huge improvement on the original film. In the original film, a lot of the cinematography is coming from the ground, shooting up at the sky, or from hills or mountains shooting up at the action, and you can tell that they're keeping a nice, healthy ground clearance for safety purposes, right? In terms of the practical nature of shooting it. This film, I have no idea. I mean, so what they, they talked about in this film was not going below the, the hard deck, right? So that's a real thing. The hard deck is usually a defined um, altitude that you can't go below for safety purposes in case your engines go out or like some emergency happens. You have more uh, more altitude to give up before, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're in true danger. The hard deck is a real thing. The funny thing is, though, to shoot it, they had to violate the hard. Like it, there was no hard deck clearly for shooting it, because like some of these shots, I was shook. Like you know, we have F-18s passing over the crew at like I don't know a few hundred feet. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, 
I'm not complaining, though, because there were awesome shots, so no complaints for me. And as far as I know, no one got hurt, so that's, that's, that's fine with me. Um, awesome so, stuff. Um, the motion of the camera and the placing of the, the planes in the uh, composition tons better tons more controlled than the first film in the first film you got these really hokey like the films just kind of seesawing around the the planes seesawing around each other kind of doing this motion where they just kind of do weird turny things and just kind of do this and to show that they're fighting each other which looks hilarious in this film you actually had like proper large maneuvers uh, that were sometimes recognizable. Um, you had uh, a little bit more separation between the uh, subject plane and the enemy plane in the background. For whatever reason, in the original film, they felt the need that the enemy plane had to be right up against the... Uh, <laughs> the. I don't know if they just didn't think people would get that ranged weapons are a thing. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, you know, you had this, like, weird just closeness in the first film. In this film, it's still way weirdly close to my pilot's eyes. But at least it looked a little bit more natural, I think, in in general, um, to have the the planes a little bit more separated. Um, The angles for the cockpits were tons better. You had a much wider angle inside the cockpit, and you got a much bigger breadth of what it feels like to be in that cockpit. And the actors in the cockpit getting tossed, experiencing Gs, there is nothing you could do to simulate that, like, other than actually just... I mean, of course, they could act it, but it would not look the way it does in this film. Otherwise, it looks ridiculous. Like there's a there's a scene where one of the characters uh, G locks, which means that he passes out because he's is uh, when you when you're pulling G's. Right. You know, usually when you're changing angle. Right. When you're pulling G's, your blood is literally being removed from your brain. It's an interesting thing. And so eventually you pass out from lack of blood in your brain. That's called G-lock, and you go all floppy. It's really physiological. If you go on YouTube and you, you, you look up G-locking, it, it, it would be almost impossible to act that. Or I would say impossible to act. You, you would hurt yourself trying to act it. I don't, I don't know. It's just a weird... But in this film, there's a character who G-locks, and it looks so real. I have no idea whether they G-locked this guy or not. I want to know... If someone knows, let me know in the comments. It looked entirely real, him G-locking. His eye, one eye rolled back a little bit, and then he goes slumped entirely. It was so real. I was actually concerned while I was watching, and I was like, what? (laughs) Um, Now, for regular civilians, their G tolerance is going to be a lot lower than if you're a trained pilot. So a trained pilot, the rule of thumb is like, you know, they tend to pass out. Um, if they're really concentrating and really trying hard and it's not too long of a G load around eight to nine G's, right? So eight to nine G's, something like that. And if you sustain that, that'll eventually pass out anyway. This guy, you know, regular civilians without much training, you know, you're going to have to train them somewhat because you don't want them to pass out, you know, at random. But, uh, you know, if you train them a little bit and they don't have the, the, the muscle and the, you know, the, the overall stamina, you know, I've seen people pass out uh, doing maneuvers in civilian aircraft at like something like 4G very easily. So that's a big disparity. So what I'm thinking might they might have done, which would be insane, is that they pulled like something like 4Gs to pass the actor out and uh, the pilot could withstand that 4Gs who's actually flying the plane. Um, and uh, it, it was fine. And if you didn't know, 
uh, they used the two-seater version of the F-18, and certainly in all the shots, the person who's flying is the actual fighter pilot, and they put the actor in the back seat or in the front seat because I think the F-18 has a... The Rio in the F-18 actually has a joystick, I believe. Um, don't quote me on that. That's my hypothesis. If someone knows, I would love to know the actual answer because um, I thought that was in- insane watching it. <laughs> um, ben looks really concerned. <laughs> it's it, He'll be fine. <laughs> um, the unrealistic part of that, to preview the sort of realism talk, um, the, the unrealistic part of that is that he stays in G-Lock for an extended period of time, whereas the moment the G-Load would be released is the moment his consciousness would... I mean, it might take a few seconds, but it's not usually like a long, you know, pass-out session, because usually once you release the... What's the, what I'm looking for? The G-Load. Once you release the G-Load, then you've, you've, you've released the pressure pulling your blood down, and now it springs all the way back up into your brain which uh, can be quite the sensation, apparently. And uh, <laughs> and you come to again. Um, whether or not it's good for you is a different question to be doing over and over again. I have no idea. But pilots do do that on a regular basis. So that was, that was a big pro, uh, uh, pro was the uh, cinematography. Um, the second pro, and I sort of mentioned, is the stunt work. There's a scene at the end, and I'm not going to say what it is. Uh, Rooster is in the, in the Rio position of uh, something. Um, I really want to talk about it, but I feel I feel like this is this is an important feature of the the hurrah of the end. Um, <laughs> but um, he's in the back seat and he's getting tossed around the back seat as the as mm, I was going to say as the uh, aircraft is uh, is 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 maneuvering. Apparently, the set story is that that was actually an accident. He was not strapped in enough for that scene um, to his flight chair. <laughs> so he's a little loose. So he was getting tossed around like a, uh, like a, like a sardine in the can, which was, and they kept the take. And honestly, he didn't look like he was in any danger. I don't think, but certainly that added to the, uh, the uh, intensity of the final scene. And I consider that to be stunt work. And that, that was phenomenal. Um, you know, it, it was, crazy to watch him getting ragdolled around the aircraft it really gives you a sense of what feeling forces in such an uh, a machine actually is especially that machine anyway <laughs> um needless to say much more intense than the uh the original machine um, <laughs> so that was really cool and then the overall realism was well increased over this hokey thing <laughs> This thing, nothing in here about the military aspects or the, the, the aviation, nothing makes sense. It's just ridiculous. It's just absurd. The coolest part is seeing the real aircraft. In this film, there's a lot of ridiculousness, but it's the kind of ridiculousness that's forgivable if you know things about things. You're still going to, like, just pass it off and just say, yeah, I'll accept that, you know, like, uh, that sort of thing. And what I mean is, like, they're always at least trying to reach for the right stuff. So when they're shooting missiles away, they're using generally the correct terminology. When there's, when they're the comms to each other is way improved over this thing where it's like, uh, I don't know. You get just beautifully horrible lines. Like, I don't know. can't think of one off the top of my head, but like you get like, you know, get that guy off my six or something like, I don't know. It's just ridiculous stuff. Um, <laughs> um 
but in this in this film there's a lot of communications that felt a lot more natural a lot more realistic not to say that it's realistic period but it just felt a lot more natural because of it was leaning a little bit in more into the to the real realism which allowed i think a better experience of the of the intensity of the combat you know it just a little bit more uh, absorbing you know into the into the whole combat um, there's stuff, the, the mission, the central mission of the film, which is, you know, part of the premise of the film, so I'm not spoiling anything, which is essentially, you know, the, uh, this weird, like, bowl in the middle of a mountain range with, okay, the, the idea that someone puts a shaft there and they go, that's ridiculous. Just, just, just a new, the end of a new hope. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly correct. It, yeah, that's exactly correct. I thought about that when I was watching it. I was like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> um, but they have to... So the, the premise is is kind of ridiculous. The idea that there's this shaft in, this, in the mountain range and you have to drop the bombs in the shaft, the animation for that was funny. Like, it was like, it was like literally like, yeah, you just kind of fit the bomb into this really narrow shaft that's the size of the bomb. <laughs> you know, it'll go inside and explode the whole thing. That's ridiculous. However, if you take that, oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also there's the whole point, like where Maverick is like, you know, don't don't think, do. I'm like, are we not literally pulling from Star Wars here? It's <laughs> true. I didn't think about that. That's so true. That's so true. Oh boy. Yeah. So the, the 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 premise that this is the target is ridiculous. However. If you accept this as the premise, that this is what needs to happen, that you have a defended target in the middle of this bowl of a mountain, and you have a valley that leads up to, to, uh, to this bowl, the resulting mission is not patently ridiculous. It's patently ridiculous in that no one would try it, but it's not patently ridiculous in that the strategy that they come up with if they had to try it is actually not ridiculous, if that no. makes sense. So something like this would never be defended that way, ever. <laughs> um, it would, there would. Think about the cost of putting one conscript in the valley to just keep watch every, like, I don't know, like five miles. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to keep an eye of inside the valley. So that concept was a little bit ridiculous. But, um, oh, so I should explain. So basically they have to, like, take their F-18s, which apparently is the only plane that can do this weird concept. But uh, they take their F-18s, and they have to zigzag at 660 knots, which is really fast, but certainly possible, plausible, I should say. To maintain that speed the entire time is probably implausible. But, you know, without that detail, it's, 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 uh, it's plausible. Fast for the F-18, I should say. It's not fast for the Tomcat. That would be light work for the Tomcat, but that's a whole other, whole other topic. And it's got to do these weaving motions through... Uh, the valley. Now, when they presented this, I didn't think that the. I thought that that might be a little bit of a boring concept to the audience. When I know as a pilot that that's actually really intense, you know, that's really scary, you know, flying. I'm not a pilot. I say it as if I'm not a real pilot. I've never been in a fighter plane. When I say that, take me with a grain of salt. I am an amateur sim pilot. Um, but, you know, I've certainly, you know, taken my uh, sim F 14 down into valleys and tried to weave like that at as fast as I can. And it is very intense. Now yeah. you add to it the fact that there are forces involved in real life that are tossing you from side to side. And in these turns, they did a very good job displaying that you're pulling G's every time. 
because I think if you've got a top-down view of the whole thing, you, it could easily escape you that those turns are intense. All of them are intense because you're going so fast that even a slight turn, you might be pulling like a solid four Gs every turn. Even though it looks like a slight turn from above, you're going so fast that those turns contain quite a bit of positive Gs. So having the actors experiencing those Gs as they were actually running the course um, and those real fighter pilots were pulling the Gs for these actors, it was phenomenal to see because it added that that bite into the mission that on its face didn't necessarily have to be there, right? Uh, from the audience perspective, an, an unknowing eye, right? I thought uh, that was really cool. And then you've got this uh, mountain, you've got to pull hard up, and then you've got to flip over and go down into the bowl, um, have your buddy lays the target, and uh, while you drop the, the, the laser-guided bombs, uh, which are GBUs. Now, the flipping over thing, I thought was really cool, because that's actually, there's no other way to do it. At that speed, you're going 660 knots, and you've got to pull up, and you've got to come over the crest. Humans are better at dealing with positive Gs, not negative Gs. So, so if you were to go over the hump regularly, like just like that, you know, facing upwards, you would have the brain rushing, you're sorry, the blood brushing into your brain, which would kill you at that speed, It'd easily kill you. Um, <laughs> so flipping over so that you flip the G so that's draining the blood out of your brain is complete sense, which I thought was super cool um, that they added that detail in instead of uh, having to VFX a ri ridiculous uh, uh, thing where they should be flying out of their seat and, and dying um, doing. Now, lazing the target that quickly is probably impractical, but if you try hard enough and you just believe in the spirit of Maverick, you know, I guess it's possible. <laughs> um, and the whole buddy system, when one lazes, one drops the bomb, that's actually how FA-18s do laser-guided bombing, not in this circumstance, but, you know, you'll have a buddy lazing a target and you'll have the, um, the FA-18... Uh, dropping the laser-guided bombs, his buddy dropping the actual bombs. So I thought those, these little details here were just really well appreciated. I really well appreciated them. And you have the 10G pull-up, which is stupid, because none of these people would actually be awake after pulling 10Gs for remotely the amount of time that they're pu pulling 10Gs. They would be all BG-locked at the end, even if you're the best pilot in the world. You know, they sustained the G's for like a solid like 10 seconds. You would be passed out. Um, um, but as a concept, it was cool. So uh, I just translated 10 G's to 9 G's and made it work in my head. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the general concept is not ridiculous. And then them pulling out and reaching the SAM net where they're in the radar sphere. That's realistic. You know, radars don't work well when they're pointing down. However, there would be certainly some soldiers down there with some IR missiles and other things, but that, that's a whole other thing. Um, with some handheld rocket rocketry, um, but that, that's a whole other thing. But I thought the two bogeys that were introduced, the F, what were actually F-35s, the enemy aircrafts, they were actually American aircraft, um, <laughs> um, pretending to be enemy aircraft, um, the fifth generation fighters, I was uh, going to say, are they actually, because I read that they're supposed to be uh, like fifth generation me meeks, but I, I mean, I couldn't tell you what, what, what they look like. So I can imagine that they'll, they're trying to be that, but uh, I think what they did exactly what they did in the original film where they used, so in the original film, they call them MiGs, but they're actually F-4s. So they're actually also American aircraft and they do that so they can actually use the real aircraft because they're not going to fly. Uh, I mean, okay, the, the military has a few captured MiGs, but 
they don't have obviously, you know, <laughs> stores and stores of MIGs to be using. So I assume that that was the same thing here because the fifth generation fighters generally have the same shape um, because they're all stealth fighters, um, whether they're Russian or American. Um, they generally have that sort of like fat sort of bodied and weird angular uh, sort of shape to them. Um, so I think it's pretending to be a new generation Russian fighter, but I think it actually was an F-35. Um, but at the same time, I'm not very well adept in, uh, adept in uh, fifth generation fighters, so maybe I'm wrong. Okay, so that was really cool to see them scramble and, uh, and interdict uh, the team. I thought that was inevitable. I was like, this would obviously happen, right? And then it happened. I was like, okay, that would obviously happen, right? <laughs> that was really cool. The combat that happens after that is, a lot of it is very good if you shrink the battlefield down to the size that it would be. And I get why they do that for cinematography and you know filmmaking purposes. You, know, you take what would probably be a, ba a, like a battle that would span a mile, a square mile easily. And honestly, much bigger than a square mile probably. You know, in terms of uh, them dogfighting each other, these are very fast jets. They've got very long-range missiles. I mean, uh, the the Tomcat, the original aircraft, has a has a uh, bomb interceptor missile that can shoot out out easily sixty nautical miles. So, like, <laughs> that's old. That's an old aircraft. So, you know, if you have uh, you know these these sort of new airplanes, the battlefield would be much bigger. In short, however. The resulting combat, if you were to give it that grace, that, okay, the combat has area has shrunken, and you give them the uh, good plot armor that they gave the FA-18s that they did not have long-range missiles because they had to be as light as possible, um, which is realistic. Um, that does happen where bombing missions, you don't take long-range air-to-air missiles because your store weight and uh, aerodynamic uh, properties really does matter tremendously. Yeah. Just bringing the bombs and your laser pod is definitely realistic, and then only carrying a few sidewinders um, for close air-to-air, -air, totally realistic, totally plausible. So I liked that aspect of things. The dogfighting, people, they really made a big deal out of fifth generation in terms of you would, would all definitely die. I, I mean, it was kind of six to two. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, six to two, you definitely have plenty of chance. I mean, you might actually stomp them. So, but, uh, uh, so that, that was a cool thing watching the ensuing battle. That was really cool. And that whole last act was honestly, if the, the whole film was the last act, this film would be easily a four out of five, you know, just on the action alone. Cause the action at the end is, is really, uh, bracing, catching and, surprisingly realistic for what it is. Well, except one thing that happens that I can't spoil, that's just absurd. But I loved it because I loved it. <laughs> uh, there's a certain reprisal that happens that just is ridiculous, but... <laughs> if you have to, you'll have to tell me what that is. Okay. Should I spoiler, 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 people? Spoiler. It's, honestly, it's not that important, you know, because none of this film has any plot points that are that important. Okay. But spoiler, 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 spoiler. The F-14 makes a reprisal at the end. The Tomcat. Tomcats. <laughs> makes, a, uh, makes a reprisal at the end where there's just a Tomcat for no, no named reason. There's one Tomcat in this air <laughs> airfield. They had tomahawked from the, the, from the freaking carrier, uh, which is possible. Although that made me have questions as to why they didn't just tomahawk the, the, the facility. But that aside, <laughs> um, 
you know, that Tomahawk barrage was totally realistic. The mission in terms of, you know, well, it didn't look realistic, but it's plausible. It destroying the runways and stuff and being a, a, a base attack is plausible. Uh, the FA-18s calling it in is plausible, although they use the wrong word. You're supposed to say fire mission, fire mission, fire mission. This is something else weird. That was all good. But out of all the wreckage, of course, in one hangar, there is the Tomcat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. That's absurd. Absurd. Patently absurd. But I, I was all for it. I was, I was like, that's my plane. Get back in it. I want to see it. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, and uh, the ridiculous thing is that they eject from their original aircraft, which is quite the experience, by the way. Uh, in always in movies, ejecting is presented as like just like almost like you're just dropping out of like an escape hatch. Ejecting is really intense. <laughs> it, like people actually get shorter after they, after they reject, eject. Like they get actually measurably shorter because they're getting crushed into themselves because they pull like instantaneous G's of like something like 12 G's or something like that, like, or 15 G's instantaneous, you know, of course, it that's only for like a, a second or two. It's enough to make you shorter, though. So <laughs> uh, ejecting is not very fun. The uh, Air Force and Navy have a rule that you're only allowed to eject, I think, two or three times before you get decommissioned. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very intense. Uh, uh, thing to do. And it's not something you do lightly, although that's how the movies always present it. And so they eject and they're, they, they of course, are magically within walking distance <laughs> from the air base that got fire missioned. Um, <laughs> and of course, the only plane that's there is the Tomcat. And of course, they're able to just walk across the base. <laughs> no soldier in sight. <laughs> And just open the canopy. <laughs> Ridiculous. And of course, it's just ready to go. Like it's got missiles on the sh on, on the rails. It's just ready to it's got fuel already. It's like it's it's already ready to go. It's already connected to ground power. All they have to do is like because the Tomcat's old, it needs ground power and ground air to start up. Um and it's already connected already. All I have to do is he has to show Rooster how to flip the switch <laughs> to turn it on. <laughs> and then it, you know, then conveniently there's a there's a uh, a barrel on the side for the Rio to get up into the Rio uh, seat so that he can jump into the Rio seat. I was just like, this whole thing is so contrived and ridiculous. However. That is the kind of hokiness that makes these films really fun. It's just stupid. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the point of them tomahawking the airbase is to destroy the runway so that enemy aircraft can't take off. You know, this is a realistic proposition. But, of course, the only thing that's left is the taxiway. It's completely untouched. There's debris everywhere else except the taxiway. <laughs> the taxiway is completely fine. And I was like, okay. That's that's OK. We're, we're, we're doing that for reference. You can't take off taxiways if they're long enough. That was a really short taxiway. But of course, with the power of Maverick and if you just believe you can take off of short taxiways uh, if you want to. And now that I'm spoiling it, the F-14 in terms of its general flight dynamics, its power to weight ratio, its turning abilities, everything about it is superior to fifth gen fighters, even though it's like ancient, right? They call it a flying museum. And I was sitting there, I was like, but you guys, this flying museum actually kicks butt. <laughs> um, now, it's deficient in a lot of other ways. Namely, it's expensive. That was the biggest problem with the Tomcat. It was expensive to maintain, you know, and it's a huge airplane. Like, you know, two F-18s could probably fit in, the, in a hangar uh, compared to one F-14. So the, the Navy had this proposition of basically, do we 
uh, have double the cheaper planes, or do we keep, or do we bring in a new generation of uh, the old uh, sort of power doctrine of the F-14s? I have opinions about that. That's for another day. But the F-14 is a monster. And I loved it kicking those fifth-generation fighters' butt in the only way that it would, which is in that close quarters uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of what we call a knife fight sort of range. And it was great. <laughs> it was, it, and the thing is, it wasn't completely un, unreasonable in the sense that the way the planes were originally positioned, which were stupid, the fifth-generation planes were just like. Escort. It was an escort formation, so in that sense, it's not stupid. But given that you're in the middle of a war zone, I don't think you'd be assuming escort formation for something you're suspicious of. You'd probably back off and, and lock it up uh, just in case it does something funny uh, if you were really that unsure. However, they just sort of decide to you know, have escort formation around uh, the F-14, and then you get this funny moment where you know Tom Cruise is pretending to understand the, uh, the signaling of the hand signals of the other aircraft. Played well with the audience that I was in. Um, <laughs> And uh, then he decides that he's going to engage these guys. I think Rooster says something stupid like, oh, these are fifth-generation aircraft. I was like, okay, but in the position you're in, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> um, and he veers off and guns down the one that's to his side, completely reasonable, because that idiot put himself there. <laughs> and the one behind him, if he didn't react quick enough, the Tomcat's turning ability in that certain circumstance, it has that var those variable sweep wings that are so iconic. Um, the wings move in and out depending on its uh, airspeed and other things. And so it, th that ability is extremely uh, advantageous for the Tomcat because it can act like a close quarters fighter or be extremely fast in, depending on the circumstance. Okay, I'm getting into the weeds. But basically, at the end there, you've got the, fi the fight between the two of them. It was freaking awesome. The Tomcat rightly won. Vindicated? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, it, it was it was great. The only complaint I have about the general combat is that flares are apparently shields, and they just like it, the film made it look like when missiles hit flares, they explode or something. Like flares are not for shielding anything. Flares are for fooling IR missiles to believe that that is the engine instead of your actual engine, because um, <laughs> they glow really bright, hot. Yeah, you know, they're really hot, so they look like, uh, in an ideal circumstance, they look like an engine to an IR missile. They don't work that well in any generation. <laughs> and then, then, and that's to say also that they certainly don't work like a curtain that just block missiles from coming in <laughs> to shoot you uh, by exploding them or something, which is what it made it feel like. Um, but anyway, that's to say, combat was easily. I would say 20 times better overall in terms of conceptualization, in terms of filming, in terms of choreography. You got so many sexy shots. Um, everything was like 20 times better than this original film in terms of the actual action. And honestly, that's the, that's the film. Like, I mean, that, that's where the heart is of these films, is having your hokey, heroic character kick butt an awesome sexy machines that's the point of these films and in that sense it is a much better film than this film like overall just because of that yeah. uh, it, 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 it's at least really entertaining in that sense um a few last things one thing that bothered me is the trailer had all of the best shots in it and yeah that kind of i was expecting i was like okay this is a taste so i was expecting to go in and find some more breathtaking shots unfortunately i had seen the trailer and 
those shots are still breathtaking to see on the big screen of the, you know, the vapor trails on the F-18s, like all that stuff, the low-level flying. Uh, but it, it irked me that they gave away their best stuff in the trailer. I was looking forward to just more, but that was actually the best stuff that they strung together in their trailer. Not to say it wasn't great, but it was still, it was still great. Um, and the other thing is uh, Miles, um, I forget his last name, the, character, the actor who plays Rooster, who's also the main character in Whiplash, fun fact. He did, uh, he kicked butt. He kicked everyone's butt in this film. Like, I was watching him act, and I was like, why are you doing so well in this this hokey you blockbuster know, movie? Why why are there complexities in your actions and your emotions? And why are you trying to get an Oscar out of this film? This is stupid, you know? <laughs> like, you know, uh, he did a phenomenal job. Um, as always, everything I've seen him in, he's just kills it. In Whiplash, he's phenomenal. You know, just brought... A lot of texture to a character that wasn't given enough screen time, in my opinion. Um, I would have even gone as far to say if I were a director and my actor is eating it up like that and I'm on a blockbuster movie where the script is kind of the secondary thing, you know, in this case, I might have just rewritten him to be in more scenes like as much as I possibly could because um, he was just so mesmerizing to watch, whether he's at the cockpit or on the ground interacting with people. It so, just, yeah, you know, I, that, that's, that's something that I wish was more in there. Okay, that's my review of Top Gun Maverick. Um, let me know what you think if you see it uh, in the comments. Um, I definitely would recommend seeing it if you just want to have some fun thing to see in the theaters. It, it was better than I expected, um, for sure. I was expecting it to be probably average. Um, I think it could have leaned into the original spirit a lot better and been a little bit more summery fun, um, brought color back into it. Um, and I think Tom Cruise, this is character could have been fleshed out better, but overall, um, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a, a rises to a guilty pleasure if you want to go see it. Right. So if you want to go see it, uh, have at it and have some fun. Any uh, final thoughts about it, Ben, <laughs> since you saw it as well? I think I wrote literally exactly that. What you said word for word on, on our discord. I said, it, it's, it was better than I expected it to be given what I've heard about the quality of the original film. I mean, no great um, work of art, but like, in contrast, I think you asked me about Tick, Tick, Boom earlier. I think Tick, Tick, Boom is probably a better um, artistic statement in some ways, but I honestly enjoyed watching it more than I enjoyed watching Tick, Tick, Boom. Like it just, it's, it's, it's enjoyable, even, even though it's not like the best enjoyable film I've ever seen. But Yeah, I would agree with that. I actually, I, I think I gave Tick, Tick, I, I think I did a whole segment on it. I have complex feelings about that film. Um, Phenomenal concept, in my opinion. Um, but like Tick, Tick, Boom is like, it's just not the same kind of thing. So it's like, you know, when you see something like Tick, Tick, Boom, you want it to be mind blowing because it's it's going for that. And then when you see something like Top Gun Maverick, you don't care if it's mind blowing. You just want to have fun, you know. <laughs> and so if it gives you that that sort of uh, that fun time, then, yeah, it's, it's a good time, you know, regardless. I mean, I give this film a two out of five. You know, I gave Top Gun, the original Top Gun, a two out of five, but I would pop it in any day over like a lot of films that I've given higher scores because to me, the, uh, to me, the, this is sort of like a more like a, a, a ridiculous subjective aspect of a movie like this that's sort of iconic, you know, and that's OK. I think that's fine. Like we can have mediocre fun films. It's OK. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Roger Ebert talks about that concept a lot. Um which uh, after Nathan mentioned him, I started reading some of his thoughts on film. And I was like, he's kind of a clone of my thoughts. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> um, 
he's really cool. So, uh, yeah, he says much the same stuff about blockbuster films, you know, real quick. So if you've been uh, listening to this, this was uh, Mixed Media Movies, and uh, we uh, will be talking about some music next. So uh, if you want to check that out, that'll be probably the next thing that comes up in your sub box. So please subscribe, like, comment, all the things I'm supposed to tell you to do. Um, Do those things. Be a good citizen. (laughs) Do those things. And uh, we'll see you uh, in the next says i bet they know what i'm moving in i bet i show it into a dim how you hate and then lose again how you hating my vibes why you wasting my time getting hype on my line tell a man i don't want feedback i just want relax brand new with two-tone i need that brand new hit you know like lean back brand new bits i live in we back man you never gonna like us get them on sight now let them on light that way they know it more righteous look at my life i'm living all right i'm nice you know i'm all right cause looking like christ no need for the hype or fight or telephone vibe was no need for the telephone vibe